I think voice devices specifically kind of sold on a promise which is not true. It got massively, massively slammed by everybody who heard it and everybody who heard about it. Um, yeah, we're, we're on the precipice of something absolutely massive. I do just think so. What I really like about voice is it's taking us down the path of being more human. So we can be more human with our devices and our devices can be more human with us. Hello and welcome to BBH Labs, a podcast about marketing. My name is Richard Cable, amongst other things, editor-at-large for BBH Labs, the research and development skunk works at creative agency BBH. Each episode, I'll be asking a different searching question about marketing and inviting interesting people with strong opinions to answer it. This episode, we're asking if this year's most hyped technology voice is going to be good for brands or if it represents a potentially fatal threat. We're going to look at whether the hype is justified, where the challenges and opportunities are, and how brands can exploit new technologies like voice better. Joining me this time are former Chief Futurist at Intel, now Professor of Practice at Arizona State University School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the godfather of science fiction prototyping, the renowned futurist Brian David Johnson, BBH London's Head of Creative Tech Marcel Kornblum and Global Chief Strategy Officer Sarah Watson. But first, the BBC is one of the world's most recognisable brands and as part of its remit, it explores ways in which new technologies can be opened up to a wider audience. I met with Henry Cook, the BBC's Head of Research and Development for Voice, and leader of a project called Talking With Machines. And I asked him what he's been up to. So I suppose the work that I've been doing on voice devices is mostly to do with interaction design. So we're kind of interested in um, what does it mean to talk to a device? What kind of interaction patterns make sense when you're talking to a device? Sort of what kind of language should both you and the computer be using when you're talking to each other? That kind of stuff. So we've been really looking at it on the kind of interface design level. When you talk about social communication, which speech is, that's something that we as humans are kind of hardwired to sort of understand. So you're right, it does communicate on a much more sort of gut level than than visual. Because vi- vis- with visual communication, it's always like you're always interpreting it. But with speech, it's just like a direct line to somebody's emotional emotional world, I suppose, um, because we are empathetic creatures. So in terms of finding use cases, we're doing a bunch of work around, for instance, um, we released, so R&D released uh, a, an inter- a voice interactive radio drama at the end of last year called The Inspection Chamber. So and so that was a kind of an experiment in, in like a new content form specifically for voice devices and sort of took advantage of the fact that you can talk to it. Yeah. And we're going to be doing a few more experiments like that in the coming year, sort of feeling out what the sort of creative space is for like, I guess, interactive audio or voice interactive audio in its kind of broadest sense. So effectively just sort of like, you know, doing a bunch of experiments to figure out what the possibility space is creatively. Okay, so where do you think commercial brands and the BBC can learn from each other? Uh, this is an interesting question. I was chatting to someone the other day from uh, BBC Creative about this, and they they occupy a very interesting spot right, because they try because they are doing marketing stuff, but they're doing it from inside the BBC, so they kind of sit in both worlds. And so when I was chatting with her, I, I this idea sort of crystallised in my head that the problem that we all have effectively is recognisable branding. Um, in a case of voice devices, you are literally referring to a tone of voice, right? Like, how does my brand talk is a, is a, is a literal question in this space. Um, and it's something that we think about a lot in the BBC, obviously, because you know, we have a lot of brands who that are built around voice, like a lot of our radio stations have a, have a very specific kind of voice and a very specific kind of sound. And people like to say that 
you know, if you're tuning through the radio, you can hear when you hit a BBC station and the sound of a station is like a big, it's, it's an idea that's got a lot of currency here. And so all of that stuff for us actually translates across directly. So brands that kind of already have some experience in sound and voice are going to have, have like a head start, I suppose. When the only sort of line of communication you have with your user is speech, then the kind of um, the way that you modulate that speech and the, the words that it uses become are the most important thing. They're kind of as important as typography and colour are to visual design. Because, you know, all the stuff I was saying earlier about the only line of communication being audio and voice, that's actually a very different branding problem. Because if you've got like a visual display, you can, there's a lot of opportunity to get brand message across there. And, you know, you can do many things at once on a, on a display. So, you know, you can be showing somebody a bit of content, but you can also be showing them sidebars and like, you know, maybe even banners if you want to do that. But with voice, you really can only sort of, you can only sort of impart one piece of information at a time. So it's much more of a linear flow of stuff than a kind of than many things at once and user choosing from them. We all have this problem where we need to communicate our brand in a way that is not cumbersome to the user. Because if, you know, if we're making like audio experiences that have a whole load of useless branding up front before anyone gets to the meat of anything, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like audio banners. <laughs> it's going to be like unskippable intros all over again. So we don't want to do that, but we all need to have our kind of distinctive voices that are informed by our brands. And we all need to have that, understand how to use those relationships with our users like responsibly. And, and we all have these problems of like uh, discoverability. So being able to find stuff and attribution. So people know where they are and how to find your things. And when they found them, that they come from you. And that's a problem, you know, that's, that's a kind of, a set of considerations for anyone who has a brand, right? Yeah. I keep coming back to this thing about like the mechanics of how your thing sounds and the nuance of how it speaks. And I think that is the same for all of us. And that's where, that's where you can sort of be learning from each other. Do you believe the hype around voice? I mean, the answer is mostly no, <laughs> but that's because I'm a cynic. It's difficult to sort of pick, pick apart the components of a hype bubble. I think voice devices specifically are kind of sold on a promise, which is not true. Pretty much everyone who's playing in the space is playing on this, like the, all the advertising, all the marketing is all around the idea of this kind of smart assistant that knows everything that you can talk to and will kind of magically be able to sort everything out for you that you could possibly want. But as soon as you unbox it and start using it, you realize that that's not true at all. And what you've actually got is a device that can do a few things really well, as long as you learn the specific vocabulary that they like to like you to use. The idea that it's this kind of magical everything machine that you talk to is definitely hype. Voice devices specifically, I think, have a lot of hype because they're these kind of, not only are they, not only is it tied into the AI hype, but it's also a kind of new class of consumer device. Yeah, so I don't actually, I haven't seen the Gartner hype curve for this year yet, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure voice is going to be somewhere near the top of that sort of peak of yeah. inflated expectations thing. Now, the interesting thing about it is the sort of ratio of hype to promise is going to narrow as time goes on because when you put a device when you put a voice device into um someone's home into millions of people's homes and everybody you know millions of people are talking to these things daily if you then have a bunch of like analytics on the back end and you have a bunch of machine learning systems learning from the way that people speak and the kinds of habits and routines that they build then you can actually feed that machine learning back into the in intelligence of the system and the system gets better as more people use it so, so like in a few years' time, I can definitely see that gap between hype and the promise narrowing. Say somewhere between two and five years down the line, I think the next you know generation or two of these devices, I think things are going to get really interesting because I think you're going to get a lot closer to that kind of um, free conversation promise. Yeah. 
So we're kind of at version 1.0 at the moment, but I think the next few iterations of it are going to get really interesting. It's a complicated picture, you know, it's an emerging picture, but where do you think a public service broadcaster like the BBC can add value? We have very different motives to the platform owners who who categorically want to create as much value from having their users on there as possible. So, you know, the more people you have, the more data you can gather about them and the more opportunities you have to make money out of them. So for us to get involved means that we sort of have to think really carefully about what it means to be on those platforms. And there's an opportunity for us to sort of show what it means to play in that kind of space, but have a respect for your audience in a way that a lot of technology companies don't. And if we can sort of fly the flag for transparency and honesty and respect for your audiences, then that's actually quite a useful thing for us to be doing in a space that could otherwise be dominated by very commercial interests. So if you look at it from the perspective of someone whose job it is to do proper, considered innovation, do you look at the sometimes like less considered innovation you get from brands as like a good thing or a bad thing? So I'm never going to say that um, agencies and kind of marketing, marketing money supporting technological experimentation is a bad thing because my background is as a creative technologist and you know I would not have had an eight-year freelance career if it had not been for this like money being thrown at novelty. I think any new technology goes through this kind of Cambrian explosion at, at, at the beginning where like there were a thousand millions of, of really interesting little experiments people are just trying something out and some of those experiments work and a lot of them don't but then you, you find out what the sort of characteristics of the medium are and then when you when you've figured out all that stuff you can then start making the things that are really of the medium that's when you start to get like really sophisticated things made so i think by all means support that explosion do the experimenting and you know it's marketing so make a nice video stick it on youtube <laughs> so that's henry cook on the explosion of voice next i spoke to marcel kumblum who heads up creative tech for bbh london and where he works on voice projects with clients i asked him why voice has taken off now in particular about two, two and a half years ago, the, the state of the technology reached an important threshold where the ma- machine learning algorithms could recognize what people were saying, achieve the same approximate level as humans. It's that that made it suddenly commercially viable. Do you think the hype is justified? So I'm a technologist and there's always hype around new things and the data does seem to be pretty convincing. Firstly, there's the sort of soft stuff around you know, for Google, it's so important that if people are going to be using someone else's voice thing, then Google is going to lose out on its ad revenue, which is basically its revenue. So they have to make it work. But secondly, there's just so so much in the way of stats now about uptake and usage. I think most people use it for music. Most people use it for the same. It's sort of just a radio for a lot of people, you know, but amongst millennials, shopping is taking off, for example, and that's not speculation, that's data. And so I'm, I'm kind of, I do think it's not going away. So Scott Galloway, second time, uh, we're talking about him in two podcasts, but he says that for brands, death has a name and that name is Alexa. Is it really that bad? So Alexa's impact on brands could be seen both as an opportunity and a threat. Arguably for lots of brands, it's a threat. But actually, the picture is wider than just Alexa. It's Amazon as a whole, I would argue. So there are things about shopping via voice. 
that are problematic for brands. So in any conversation, lists don't work particularly well. It's no fun if I were to sit here and list you the top 10 search results for any given search. What normally happens is a dialogue where I say one or two and you come back and say, have you got anything else? And I give you another one. And, yeah. you know, so for that reason, you don't get to have the same wide range of results for a search, um, which means you have much more competition to be the first result than you do on e-commerce in general. Secondly, obviously, you don't have um, any visual stimulus. I mean, that's changing as people use voice over smartphones and other devices with screens, but you can't be guaranteed to have any for sure. And thirdly, you're dealing with an intermediary who is Alexa, who is the voice of Amazon, who both have a marketplace and also have their own brand goods that they sell in that marketplace. And arguably, it's the combination of all those things that make it very difficult for brands. So for Google Assistant, which is rapidly gaining market share on Alexa, I think it's something like a third of smart speakers now, where it was only 7% uh, a year and a half ago. Because they don't have the marketplace and the retail themselves, they're partnering with retailers to sell you goods. And I don't think it has quite the same existential threats for brands as Alexa does. And it's, So Alexa definitely brings it to a sharp focus, but all of those problems are there even without Alexa, if you see what I mean. One thing consumers are wary of about these technologies is that they're being listened to by them. Um, is that a reasonable concern? The thing that I think actually is, you know, on the creepy scale that is useful for them is there's so much more contextual data on a voice search than there is on other interfaces. So I know almost by default where you are and what you're doing and what's around you and if it's in your home you know which gives me connections to your family and I can build a bit of a social graph and there's all sorts of other data that I can be getting which can help me target you better so that stuff is slightly creepy I've got a quote here from Jason Sperry, who's who Google's VP of Performance Media. And he said, the next 18 months is about figuring out how to tune the assistive experiences to understand what not to do from the point of view of a consumer experience. Uh, but there is one thing that everybody seems to have already decided upon, and that is no ads. Google did something last year that they claim wasn't advertising, but that is widely regarded as an experiment in advertising. And... It got massively, massively slammed by everybody who heard it and everybody who heard about it. But it was proactively telling you about something that you hadn't asked about. Um, and people hated it, really properly hated it. And I think that's partly because you do feel like you have a relationship with your assistant. There's a stat that I think a quarter of people who regularly use virtual assistants uh, have told them at some point that they love them. It's amazing. It's amazing. They really, people do, people fantasize about their assistants and stuff. It's like, there is a real personal connection. And when it starts advertising to you, it feels like a huge breach of trust. So advertising, I don't think is probably going to take off. I do think there's a huge space for branded content, branded entertainment, branded utility, editorialized stuff. I think there's a huge, huge scope for that because people, you know, want 
lots of interesting things. They want useful tools. They want, and they're, I think, happy as long as there's a value exchange. So if the hype is justified and voice really is here to stay, how can brands get started or how should they be approaching it? In, a, in any given business, the marketing department is the department that's most guilty of looking at tech for its PR value rather than for what actual effect it may have. Um, which I think is a lot of where the hype cycle comes from. I think that's perennially a thing, and I think that's probably always going to be a thing. There is definitely a case for treating voice, if you're going to make a Google Home, Google Assistant app or an Alexa skill, putting a little bit of strategy around it and treating it a little bit like you would, are you making a new app? The one good thing about voice is it's fairly cheap to make something. It doesn't cost all that much but it's quite easy to make digital landfill on for the same reason. But there are smart ways to get around it, you know, like on, on the Google platform, say, you know, you want to speak to a, a particular app, you need to ask for it by name. If you're a brand and you've got eight different apps, it's a big ask on a consumer to remember the name of your specific campaign-related app. Much more sensible, in my opinion, would be to have probably a single app for your brand, and then within that, do your campaign thing. So that was Marcel on how not to contribute to digital landfill. If you want to hear more of Marcel's views on voice, there's an excellent accompanying blog post at bbh-labs.com. Next, I wanted to know how agencies should be thinking about voice. So I ruthlessly accosted our global chief strategy officer, Sarah Watson, on her first day back from maternity leave, and I asked her. Apologies in advance for the poor sound quality. From an agency point of view, why should we be excited about voice? We're literally giving voice to a brand you know we've talked about brand voices for 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 the entire history of advertising and now literally the brands are having the voice and so that is the exciting thing about all of this that we and, and this is where you know I, i'm excited about what we as creative agencies can bring to this because you know these are subtle questions these are subtle emotionally charged questions about how do i want this brand to speak to me so you know, to have, have for us as an agency to be able to help answer that question genuinely, what permission do I have to speak, to literally speak in the lives, the daily lives of the people that are interacting with me, so mm. that they're going to welcome me in, I'm going to become part of the family. We are entering into a kind of a new era of you know, of AI marketing. It's like this, everything we've been talking about for a little while, now fully, as a consumer, I get that. Um, and, and, you know, a very, very complex big data picture of my life is going to be played back to me, um, you know, on an hour-by-hour -hour basis, um, trying to sell me things. Um, yeah, we're, we're on the precipice of something absolutely massive. I do genuinely think so. There is an annual hype cycle. Uh, which is generated, it begins in January with the, the Consumer Electronics Show uh, and everybody, every year there's a new contender. But the point is that every year, every January, we get this burst of enthusiasm around a new technology. How do agencies filter out the hype from the good stuff? We live in a world of hype cycles. But the question it always, always comes down to is, what is my brand? What conversation do I want to be having with people that, such that I remain really relevant to their daily lives? 
Um, and how can I use new technology to, um, to move that forward? Um, that, that's the only question you really have to ask. And it, it's, it's often very, very hard to see through the hype as to, um, you know, people often say, you know, I, you know, I have to have my periscope strategy and all this sort of thing. People feel that they don't want to get left behind because it's hard mm. to see which technologies are actually going to win or not. But I think you must always, always come back to who am I? Who am I and who am I talking to and what do they really want to hear from me? So do you see voice changing consumer behaviour in a big way? People are now going to take for granted that they can use voice control. So I don't have voice control in my sitting room. You know, I've been nursing a new baby. I could have really, really done actually with a voice control in but you, that is how demanding like I am now. Like, what's this bullshit remote control that I've got? You know, I need voice control. So, so, so knowing that there is now this absolute immediate expectation amongst you know a large base of consumers, the question is, how can my brand use this as an opportunity? What are the pitfalls for brands with voice? I, I was at a birthday party, a four-year-old birthday party recently, and the mum comes in and shouts, Alexa. And I thought, oh, my God, this poor girl. <laughs> yeah, we've got to be realistic where we, yeah, radically realistic about where we are welcome. You know, the, the, the more powerfully we can speak, um, the more unwelcome we will be if we get it wrong. You have to really, really minutely speak the language of, the uh, of the medium that you're using, you know, the same the same conversation we've been having in advertising for years. But I think now these mediums are just becoming so much more intuitive and you know paired back in the elements that you use, you know, the emojis. And actually now we're doing the same thing again with our verbal interfaces. We're reducing it to the absolute simplest form of currency, which is the immediate spoken word. It will knock out anything that isn't absolutely top of the consideration set. With the hype cycle, there is an attendant rush from brands and agencies to be first into that space rather than necessarily best. So do you think this is helpful or not? Oh, my God. I mean, the digital landfill, I think is the word for it, of what I, you know, a piece, the stuff that people have tried over the last 15 years and that when you think about the money that has been spent on it and the and the time and the, the man hours, woman hours that have been spent on it, um, it I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, you know, and it comes from this pressure. It comes from the pressure of change. You know, organizations say the world is changing. I need to know that we are changing with it. And that is the right question to be asking. Um, but sometimes consumers aren't ready for this. Sometimes the technology isn't ready for this stuff. Sometimes the brand isn't the right brand to do it. It, you know, it just requires such sophisticated marketing thinking. So, yeah, we should, we should always, you know, we always tread a very fine line between chasing after the next new thing and making sure that we're not being left behind. Uh, and that is really, you know, that's the new skill, I'd say, of the new age marketer. Last up, I spoke to renowned futurist Brian David Johnson, whose job it is to look at how innovation will impact businesses 10 to 15 years into the future so they can make any necessary adjustments today. I wanted to know how brands and agencies can change the way they think to get more out of important new technologies like voice, 
In particular, I wanted to know about a methodology he invented called science fiction prototyping. The modeling that I do is essentially called effects-based models, meaning you're not describing the thing or the product, you're describing the effect you want it to have. It's actually very similar to marketing in that way. You're saying, this is the effect I want to have. Okay, great. Now let's just reverse engineer that. How can we do that? Well, if you're creating an effects-based model, it's really a person in a place with a problem because it's all about people. Well, a person in a place with a problem is the foundational architecture of a story, right? And if, if, it's, if it's a really well-described person in a really interesting place and a really gnarly problem, well, you've got yourself a great story. And that is kind of what I played out when I started, you know, really setting down the tenets of science fiction prototyping. Now I go and work with organizations and trade associations, getting them to understand that if you can tell yourself a different story as a brand, as a marketer, as a company, as an organization, if you can tell yourself a different story about the future, then people will take different actions. You can actually change the future by changing that story. And that's why storytelling is so powerful because I've seen people make different purchase decisions, make different design decisions, education decisions, even policy decisions because the story they were telling themselves about the future was different. From the perspective of a futurist, what is it that you find exciting uh, about voice? I'm, I'm a big fan of voice and I'm a fan of anything that brings technology closer to human interaction. So we all know, everybody knows the story about the QWERTY keyboard, but it was designed to slow humans down so that the typewriters wouldn't get jammed. And so we were basically making ourselves less human. We were turning ourselves into machines so that we could communicate with a machine. And what I really like about voice is it's taking us down the path of being more human. So we can be more human with our devices and our devices can be more human with us. But to your point about brands having voices. I think this is something that technology is going to push. It's what's your AI going to be like? What's the AI for your brand? Because you're going to be giving autonomy to this technology so that it can act and interact with people. What will it sound like? Again, what jokes will it tell? You start to have a, an age of sentient tools, of tools that are aware, that can think, and that are social. And that I find really exciting because then it becomes about a relationship-based interaction with all of our technologies. And that is really interesting because that doesn't turn us into machines. That actually allows the machines to value us as human beings and as individuals. Can you see a point in the future when this relentless innovation and disruption comes to an end? The disruptions will continue right. where it will continue. I mean, it has been disrupted certainly because it's about communication and how people have been communicating. But if you look back deep into the, the 20th century, I mean, marketing has been going through, driven by technology, this sort of change after change after change, certainly starting with radio, moving into television. You know, you can't forget that this is massive. I mean, the change that went on moving from print to radio and TV in this constant state of flux, there's actually that that flux is normal for marketing and is what keeps it interesting. And it tire, it's what tires people out. It's what tires the, probably many of the folks who are listening to this out because it's this incessant drive to keep going. But it's really exciting. I mean, because it always has to reinvent, rethink, come up with different ways of doing it because you're always trying to find ways of engaging, new ways of creating relationships, creating experiences, using these technologies. But that's the game.
marketing is about connections. It's about making connections, giving information, having relationships, and that never changes. I think don't get caught up in the noise and the next big thing noise. They go, oh my goodness, everything is going to change. No, it's not. What you do is about people. It starts with people and it ends with people, right? You're a person and it's gonna end with a person. What advice do you have for marketers who are trying to use technology to solve problems for their brands? How should we be thinking about these problems? Like if you can imagine it, and specifically like when it comes to marketing and messaging, if you can imagine it, now you can pretty much build it. Um, so I've got a story. So my, my buddy, um, Adam Steltzner, so the guy who helped to design the, the Mars lander, the one that was launched a few years ago, right, was the size of a bus, right? It was huge. It was just too heavy. They couldn't slow it down. And you know, there was one kid who raised his hand and went, um, how about a hovercraft? And everybody's just like, that's stupid, right? Right? That's how they landed it, right? It would come down and then they made a hovercraft and then the hovercraft lowered it down. That type of thinking is really tough. Um, and especially when you're doing marketing, you're trying to come up with, again, with this incessant role of technology and things that need to get done, you know, are you the hovercraft person? I think that's something you can uh, aspire to. <laughs> okay, to finish, I wanted to ask you very quickly about your latest venture, um, which I believe is all about the science fiction and less about the prototyping. So could you tell us a little bit more? Sure, sure. So my, so my latest venture, so I just, we just, um, just released Wizards and Robots. And the idea, so I, I wrote it, I co-wrote it with Will I Am, and Will and I met at work and had had this idea and wanted to make a world where we were empowering young minds and to empower very specifically young ladies in engineering to see themselves as heroes. And then also to show a world where robots aren't trying to replace human beings, that robots may, very well might be quote unquote smarter than human beings, but they're still not better. Um, to be able to say, hey, here's a world of wizards and robot, and it's huge and it's Wagnerian in its scope, and it's, but it's all real. It's all based on real science. It's all based on real technology. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty, pretty magical. That's it for Voice. Thanks to our contributors, Henry, Marcel, Sarah, and BDJ. Don't forget to subscribe to receive fresh episodes as they arrive and join us next time on the first in our occasional new series, Tom and John Go Outside, when two intrepid BBA strategy directors, Tom Roach and John Harrison, go outside advertising to learn from experts in other fields. In the meantime, if you want more from BBH Labs or John, Tom, myself or Marcel, or you'd like to talk to us about voice, you can find us at bbh-labs.com or on Twitter at bbhlabs. Thanks for listening. Nah.